know, almost everybody who's gone on a spiritual journey has to go through this rite of passage. I almost call it like a rite of passage. And in any spiritual scripture, pick up any, they will talk about detachment, right? When I would read these books and the way they, they, it, that word has put in, been put in there, it would make me cringe. It was a, but I don't want to detach from the world. Why, why should it be one or the other? But that's how it's presented in those books. Oh, that's how our mind actually initially perceives it too. But that this detachment isn't happening from the world. It is happening from everything that is not your soul. Okay, so sit with that for a moment. You know, when um, in, the, uh, in the Upanishads, which are like really ancient books, which Buddhism was based on, so Buddha, Buddha took the Upanishadic approach to his teachings. So in the Upanishads, it states that these yogis or these sages would sit and meditate and they were like scientists, like our present is scientists, what do they do? They look outwards and then they follow certain patterns and say, if I do this, every time I have a similar result, right? There's a cause and an effect thing, yes? For them, these yogis in the olden ages, they were scientists as well. They, they, their approach was extremely scientific, but they were, they were exploring the inner world, right? So they would sit and they would go through themselves, like peel away layers of themselves, starting with personality. Like peel away layers of your own personality, peel away layers of your own thoughts, emotions, attachments, memories, right? The sum total of all of these things is you. So they would start to peel away layer after layer after layer. And their mission was, so their little mantra as they would go through each thing and say, checking against is neti neti atma. Neti means no. Atma means soul. So they would go and check against every thought, every piece of the personality and say, is this my soul? Now, how do you know if a thought is soul? What is soul? That within you that is unchanging, undying, is pure, can never be affected by anything. Have you ever thought about that? What is it within you that is undying, unchanging, is constantly stable, pure, untouched by anything? Okay? When you're meditating, if you, if you are able to catch a glimpse of that state, that's when you experience peace. That's the only place you experience peace. Yes or no? How many meditators in here? Okay. So if you've gone on this little, the way I visualize it every morning when I meditate, I say, I'm going to get into my spaceship and I'm going to go into my own realms of my consciousness, you know, realm after realm, layer after layer after layer. 
And so these yogis would do the same thing. And as they were exploring these realms, they say, neti, neti, atma. So it's a process of elimination. Does my thought reflect my soul? If it does, then it's true. If it doesn't reflect my soul, drop it. It's not real. It's not me. Is Does this aspect of my personality discussing brewed coffee right. for 30 minutes neti neti atma? No, not my soul. So what's happening is that process is happening through you because you have had a taste of atma. Right? You've had a taste of your soul now. And so automatically, anybody who's had a taste of the soul becomes like a bloodhound in that. Like, ooh, are you that? Are you that? Can I sniff some in you? <laughs> so what is my soul? Is this thought reflecting my soul? Is this part of my personality reflecting my soul? Is my family reflecting my soul? Are my relationships reflecting my soul? What I'm doing in this moment is that reflecting my soul. So you will start to, anybody who's a serious seeker, you will start this process of elimination automatically. Like nothing else will catch your attention anymore. So the old will feel a little guilty about it. The old self is still there as you're growing up. That is why they say through this process, you need to have a teacher who can guide you on this journey, who can tell you it's okay to let go, or this is how you direct your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I had a similar situation, but it was very difficult, similar and different at the same time. And I'm trying to figure out like practically like how to handle this because, okay, so I, I'm a nanny and I work also as a nanny and I work for the parents in their showroom for their clothing line. So I was working in the showroom um, yesterday and uh, I was working with the mom and it was like around like 3.30 and she's like, okay, let's go have a beer. And I've never, she's never done this or ever asked me to do that. And I'm like, I don't, well, I don't really drink beer generally. And then she's like, okay, well, let's go, I'll get us some wine. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm really not, uh, no, you know? <laughs> And I go, I go, it's just, I'm really just not interested in doing that right now. And I go, but you can totally do that and do your thing and, you know, it'll, you know, whatever. And then of course she's like, I don't want to drink alone. And I'm like, why not? And she's like, because that's weird. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not interested. So fast forwarding, I talked to my aunt today and told her, and she's like, well, that's stupid. Why don't you just, this is what you do. Just tell her you'll drink. Take your beer, don't drink it, bring it to the bathroom. <laughs> she's like, she's telling me, she's like, she's like, put it in the toilet. Oh and my gosh. Come out. Like, you have to be social. You can't think you're so righteous, Bianca, for oh, like, and like, this is her advice to me. You can't think you're so righteous to like not do that because that's like what you do socially and like you want your boss to like you. And I'm just like, oh God, I don't even know. I mean, I know this is not right, but it's still. I could see her in her in her face. She was really like embarrassed, like my boss. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. I don't know how to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. I I love it. I love to see how how topsy turvy we are. Yeah. You know, where it's embarrassing if somebody doesn't drink. Ooh, like three generations ago, yeah. one person on your street was drinking. 
And you would look at that person, you know, your grandparents like, oh, that person drinks. Yeah. Look at what's happened today. The person who doesn't drink is either odd or too righteous. Right. Or is in AA. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's, isn't that bizarre? So I would, to address that situation without making it too melodramatic or overly complicated about taking the beer, making them spend the money, yeah. and dumping it yeah. in the toilet, Pretending to be drunk at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And I would not want to waste a single second of my precious life on that. No. Like, I was like, I'm not doing that. And that's another thing. Once you start exploring the inner realms, your life becomes very precious. Like every moment of it becomes precious. You don't want to waste even a moment of it because there's so much to explore within yourself. So I would, and I've had that situation, you know, it's like, right. um, and so I would just say, no, I am, I'm not drinking. I'm not a drinker. But if you feel awkward drinking alone, I'll just grab a glass of hot water. Right. I'll sit with you. You know, there's no problem with that. But there's no, but most people look at it like it's righteousness. Right. If we present it that way, like, oh, I'm in yoga teacher training. I, I don't drink. Uh, yes, then it comes off as of righteous. Of I didn't say that. Right. I was just like, no, I'm just not really feeling it right now. That's how I said it. <laughs> okay. Let's refine that a little. Vak <laughs> Siddhi, you yeah. know. So there, there's an ability yeah. to yeah. communicate. It doesn't matter what you communicate but it's how you communicate it. Yeah. And if it's communicated in the in the right way, then the other person receives it somewhere else, not in the mind. It's um, like you you get your yeah. point across without having to explain yourself. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? So we, you, you can understand where the other person is. They're insecure. There's a child consciousness. How do I nurture this child consciousness and not make them feel bad about themselves? Mm -hmm. that's only if she didn't want to drink alone because somewhere within there was that nagging yeah. talk at 3 o'clock yeah, in the afternoon just at three it was literally 3 o'clock <laughs> yeah. so there, there's something there right so, so oh, yeah. there you go so the ability to express yourself in such a way where you don't um, make them uncomfortable by separating yourself from them mm -hmm. it's like I'll come with you Mm -hmm. Thank you for offering, mm -hmm. and I'll order a cup of tea as you enjoy this, and we can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So is the point of getting together, grabbing a beer, or is it usually to have a conversation or connect with someone? Well, that was my aunt's point. She's like, it's usually just to have connect with someone. That's the problem in our world today. We can't seem to connect with someone without a beer or a glass right. of wine in hand. Right, that's what she said. <laughs> she told me that. I was like, yeah. So you can be social. There's nothing. It's not anti-social, but on your own terms. But yet being conscious and nurturing about the other person. That's, That's the adult consciousness. Too many, yeah, things to juggle. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think of this idea of neti neti atma? Not my soul. Not my soul. Not my soul. Not my soul. Doesn't reflect my soul. Doesn't reflect my soul. Doesn't reflect my soul. Not engaging it. Do you get like a a hit when you feel that when it's your soul? Like 
Yeah, it's part of the mind. It's not the mind that we think is the mind. It's a part of the mind that gets activated when you start right. to meditate. Mm -hmm. It's called buddhi. That's okay. where the word Buddha comes from. Mm -hmm. Buddhi. Buddhi mind. Um, so buddhi mind is the closest uh, filter for the soul to come right. through. Okay. Yeah, it, go, it goes through many filters. But if you have access to your buddhi mind, now that's what it feels like. It's a download. It's just really strong. Yeah, thankfully, the soul is always very strong, except our noise is much louder than the voice of the soul. That's all. Right. So meditation is turning that down. Yes. So when you... Sorry. Oh, that's... Well, that, that noise is very helpful. Because yeah. sometimes I've wondered why things I did, but that's why. Because... It was, I was being led there by my soul. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the, even though it might look weird to me, it, yes. it, it really wasn't. Yeah. Well, you don't understand it. Yeah. But yeah. yes, you know it. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's odd. Yeah. It's not explainable by the brain mind. <laughs> you're mentally preoccupied with something, and you apply this to it. Are you applying it to the preoccupation or the feelings around the preoccupation? Give me an example. Hmm. Let's say that I'll give you an example of something that happened to me a few weeks ago. You know, I, it looks like I lost a, a deal at work, right? And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and think about it. Mm -hmm. Wake up at the beginning of the morning and think about it. Mm -hmm. I'd think about it while I'm on the phone talking about something else. Right. Mm -hmm. Nothing I can do about it. It's over. It's done. But yet the mind is still going yeah, and attaching sure. to it. I don't it. like to think about that. I don't like to, but I'm certainly compulsive. Right. Mm -hmm. Or a woman. Mm -hmm. Or an injury. Mm -hmm. Or I mean. Yeah, the I mind can attach itself to a million things. Mm -hmm. So obviously, this preoccupation is not my soul. Yes. <laughs> it is a preoccupation. Yes. But there's a feeling there. That maybe is right. Correct. That's what the yogis that I was talking about. When a thought or preoccupation would start, where the mind would start to go in an eddy, circle around something, an object, or a thing, or obsession, or um, they can break out of that loop. That was the time to ask yourself, like you asking yourself. We call it metacognition. We have a word about it in, in the yogic psychology. It's called metacognition, where I am asking myself and observing myself, ask that to myself. Neti neti atma. Is that deal really that thing that is unchangeable? <laughs> so it's about recognizing who I am. You getting the deal would give you some happiness. It would give your a sense of self, a little push. Your personality will get the little boost of, yes, I did this. There would be financial repercussions to that. or right? There would be a way that people would view you or how you would perceive yourself. But the, what the yogis were trying to discover, all these rishis, like, I can do that and I can do that and I continue to have all these successes, gain anything I want to, but is that constant is there always a fear underneath it that says this is not me this is not permanent 
right? What is fear? Fear is when we have we have gained something and now we have a fear of losing it. Any ability, let's say an ability to even make that deal. If you are thinking about it over and over again, you are probably thinking, what could I have done differently? I should have presented it this way. Da, da, da. So the mind goes on thinking, what could I have done to gain that? On one aspect, you're learning from it. Yes? On another aspect, there's also this underlying fear. I will do this again. There'll be another failure like this one again. So is that fear you? Check with yourself. Is that deal, if that deal was made or it was broken either ways, was that the real you? Or is that the surface happening? The woman, if I get that woman, if the woman is the love of my life and she also feels the same way, is that me? Is this unchangeable? Now that's a very real question. Now anything that I'm, I'm owning as me, I will always have a fear that it will go away. The studio will go away at some point. I will go away. My husband might go away. My child might go away. Things that I have identified myself with, they are all perishable. So the key, the underlying key to the, the soul, which is broadcasting all the time is like, is this you? And you can have a choice. That's the beauty of the human incarnation. It's like we freaking seem to have a choice in the matter. No other animal species has that. They're all programmed and they follow the program and they're done. They don't have a willpower. They don't have free will. Our downside or upside, either way, you could think is that we have a free will. So we can make ourselves to be whoever we want to. I can have this deal. I can do this. It's my willpower. I can go after this. I can create this. And yet, at the end of the day, what is real in all of that? What is the definition of real? Tell me. You live in the real world, yes? What is the definition of real? What's real? Truth. Is my hair the truth? <laughs> it could fall out tomorrow. <laughs> That's why people who have who are going through chemo have such a hard time with it. Because that which they have attached to as themselves is perishing. And so it creates pain. It creates misery. It creates heartache. Right? So if you look at somebody like Buddha, same quest. Exact same quest as us. What is reality then? Is success reality? To some extent... It is providing financial security for you. But if I get obsessed with the thought of success, now I lost it. Now I unattach from my soul being my identity to the success being my identity. 
And that is the foundation for all misery, all pain, all suffering, all ups and downs. So we do have that free will of rolling in that roller coaster of the ups and downs. And it is exhilarating. It's exhilarating to the senses. Isn't it? And we get, we've all played that game. I've done it for a while. And then maybe I got a scent of the, of the soul and it's like, I'm not finding it in it anymore. There's no fun in the play anymore. The play continues on. There's other people who are continuing on the play. I stepped out of the play. So I don't know if that answered your question at all. But you were asking, so underneath it, is that the soul too? Yes? Sure. And that's the process of elimination. You can go through it. You can have the experiences of the deal or no deal, success or no success. But neither one of them are you. There, there's Neither one of them are authentic you. So I'm not saying don't have the deals or don't do the business or don't strive in the actual outer world. What I'm saying is don't attach to that as you. And immediately there's a huge shift in how you deal with it and how your mind lets go. It's almost like it unhooks out of that turbulence. This make sense? The mind can stay hooked only as long yes. as your identity is attached to that. That's what meditation is all about. When you dive deeper into the realms of your consciousness, you start to see, my God, the surface was like a tiny thin layer of me. And what I'm exploring on the inside is so much more faster. And it's actually amazing. And the moment, like I said, the moment you get a taste of that, you, you start to automatically unattach mm -hmm. from a lot of things. That's where the mind starts to now let go of the obsession in here because this is a play. It will take you round and round. It's samsara. Mm -hmm. But they say you have to go through samsara to get to nirvana. Mm -hmm. Like It's almost like it's a passageway mm -hmm. to it. But we run the risk of getting lost in it. The way to nirvana is through samsara. So you've all gone through it. And that detachment thing that's happening is like, been there, done that. Mm -hmm. Now I'm heading towards nirvana. For more inspirational offerings, visit us at sevenchakrayoga.com.